0: Hello, this is Episode 7 of Season 2. In this episode, I'll be talking about wardrobes, linens, laundries and mudrooms. I'm also going to cover walk-in robes and other storage. And these spaces can be super important to get right for a home to work well. So let's learn more. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This episode groups together a few spaces and rooms in our home. And so I'm going to structure this podcast a little bit differently to how I've been doing the recent ones. And to be honest, I probably could have done an episode on each of these spaces individually. However, I'm not sure you'd be able to listen to an entire podcast on a linen cupboard, for example. So this episode is a little chunkier, but it groups all of these spaces and rooms together. Normally, I would take you through the four F's and then I'd share three mistakes and three design tips overall. Instead, I'm going to talk about the four F's up front and I'm going to get through them quite quickly. And then I'm going to tackle each of these spaces and rooms individually and I'll share some key mistakes and tips for each. And in each of them, I'll talk about where to locate these spaces and rooms in your home and how to connect it to other spaces and rooms so it works as conveniently as possible. Because convenience is really what these spaces are all about. When you get it right in these rooms and spaces, when you nail how they work functionally, then it not only assists you in your home, it actually makes life simpler for everyone and it's a serious sanity saver in family homes. So to get clear on the terminology, I'll take you through the list of rooms and spaces I'm going to talk about in this episode. Firstly, wardrobes. So these are built-in robes that are a fixed object in a room and usually they're in a bedroom. So they'll have sliding doors or hinge doors that open outwards and they'll run along one wall of the room and they're used to store mainly clothing and shoes plus a few other items and they'll have shelves, hanging space and sometimes they'll also include drawers. Now, then there's walk in robes. So these are little or big rooms for storing clothing. And they'll sometimes be more like a dressing room with an ottoman or something similar in the middle. Or they'll be a cupboard that you can walk into or through into another space, such as an ensuite. They'll have a combination of shelving, hanging space, and sometimes drawers as well that will be all exposed and open inside the room itself. Next, there's linen cupboards. So these are for storing sheets towels, blankets and other types of items that we require for our beds and for our homes and they can also be general storage for other things like luggage for example and for things that we generally won't keep in the kitchen and that can't fit in our wardrobes. They're traditionally only shelving and not hanging space and they can be a cupboard with sliding or opening doors or they can be an actual walk-in space. There's also broom cupboards and these are generally similar to linen cupboards with less shelving in them so that you can have space to fit vertical items such as brooms and mops. Then I'm also going to talk about two rooms, mud rooms and laundries. Now these rooms can be two separate ones in different parts of your home from each other. They can also be right next door to each other or they can be combined into the same room itself. Now, another name for a mud room is a boot room, and generally these are actual rooms in Australian family homes. However, it is possible for them to be accommodated in a cupboard instead. Okay, so that's built in robes, walk in robes, linen cupboards, broom cupboards, mud rooms, and laundries. As mentioned, I'm going to tackle each of these individually and give you mistakes and tips for each. So firstly let's generally talk about the four F's for these spaces. It can be handy to understand them when thinking about any of the storage or utility spaces in your home. And remember we start with that magical fifth F which is feel. I'm not going to dwell too much on feel but as always I recommend that you start there. Often the feeling most wanted for these spaces is to feel organized so a place for everything And everything in its place. They're the magical words that I always hear and that feeling is a really great goal to make these spaces work well. Now let's talk about functionality and in particular orientation. These rooms and spaces are all what I consider service spaces. That is they actually exist to serve your home and you. They exist to provide storage and to house things that help you and help the home function overall. So service spaces, as a rule, can be located on the western side of your house. This is because you're actually never in them for very long, although (laughs) some people may not feel that way about their laundries, but compared to your living spaces and your kitchen, you'll generally be ducking in and out of these spaces. So those shorter periods of use mean that they can handle being on the western side of your home. They also usually have smaller or no windows. And if they do have windows, they often obscure glass to prevent views into them. So this adds up to them being able to handle the Western orientation, particularly of hot afternoon sun. So now let's talk about flexibility. These spaces and rooms, like your bathrooms, they're built in. So flexibility in their actual shape and size isn't possible. However, you want to ensure that in some cases they have flexibility once they're actually installed. What do I mean? Well, it can be as simple as making sure that you specify adjustable shelving in your cupboards when building and renovating. So many times I've seen homeowners not do this and they assume that they're getting it and then they find that the shelving is fixed in these linen cupboards and other storage cupboards and not as functional as they need it to be as a result. It can also mean creating the opportunity for flexibility down the track. For example, if you're putting a built-in robe into a child's room when they're a baby, you'll need more shelving and drawers because most of their clothing is small and it's folded up. As they get older, hanging space needs to be quite low and can be quite low actually and you can have quite a bit of hanging space because clothing is actually short in length and so is the child. So as they grow taller, the hanging space may need to get taller as well and you may need to move it up inside the robe. So look to install robe fit-outs that can change change as the members of your family grow. Similar thoughts can be applied to other storage spaces and rooms too. You know, can you see ways that you can future-proof them? Perhaps it's even a case of whether you have these rooms or not. A mudroom, for example, can be hard to envisage You know, a need for when you have little babies and toddlers. But if you have some teenage boys who play rugby or soccer, a mudroom or a laundry slash mudroom combo suddenly seems like an essential thing in your home. So, what else can you map out like this when you're thinking about the future demands on these spaces? The best way to do this is to be a design detective in other people's homes because it'll really give you some clues about what you might need in the future. Now, let's move on to furnishability. Again, as these spaces and rooms are generally built in with joinery and tiles and all those types of things, the main thing to consider here is ergonomics. So how do you create easy access and movement in these areas? One big problem that I see when great storage is created is that it's actually located too high for easy access. In any time when you create Great storage, it's actually really good if you can give your spaces a hierarchy and you can design access to it in that way. So, what do I mean? Well, what will need to be accessed all the time? How can you design your storage to assist with easy access? What only needs to be accessed once or twice a month or at certain times of the year? You know, say linen for a guest room or big blankets and dunas for winter. Remember this when you design your storage and your service spaces. Not everything needs to be accessed all of the time. Now, finally, there's flow. So this is about how these spaces are connected to others in the home. The key thing here, particularly when it comes to storage spaces, is to actually map out where you'll need the items that are being stored. Now, I'll share more about this in each individual area as we move through them. So let's dive into each of these areas. As I mentioned, I'll share the mistakes and tips for each as we go. So the first area we're going to talk about is built-in robes. As I touched on earlier, one of the mistakes that I see with built-in robes is that they're not built to be adjustable. So when you specify your robe fit out, make sure that you include that you want adjustable shelving. Now, some shelving in it may actually need to be fixed just purely for the rigidity of the robe fit out. However, it is possible to have many shelves in the robe be adjustable and also the hanging rods as well. So this will give you flexibility in moving things around to suit what you need to store and for the years to come. Another mistake that I see is that robes are built too shallow. So remember that your robe will have clothes hanging in it sideways on coat hangers. These can get bulky, especially with items such as winter coats. And then of course doors will need to slide past these items or close on these items without pushing them to the side. Another mistake that I've seen happen is when people choose uh, hinged or swinging doors on their robes. And so many times I've seen people specify these types of hinged doors that open outwards. And then as soon as the bed goes in that room, they've run out of room to open the doors easily because they'll forget about things like a doona on a bed that makes the bed fatter and wider. And so you know, the bed will go in and then what will happen is that they can't open the doors to the robes easily or they actually have to physically stand on the bed in order to open the doors out. So if you're planning on using hinge doors on your built-in robes, make sure that you have sufficient space for them or size them so that they're a certain width so that you'll always be able to open them and get easy access into the robe without having to climb on the bed to do it. Okay, now let's next talk about walk-in robes. Walk-in robes are usually associated with the master bedroom. However, I'm seeing uh, a lot of homeowners will put them in as the robes in their kids' bedrooms as well instead of doing built-in robes in those rooms. Now, when it comes to walk-in robes for your master bedroom, and I touched on this in the last episode, one mistake that I see regularly is where people will locate the door into their walk-in robe. So ideally you want to avoid being able to see into your walk-in robe or your ensuite when your head is on your pillow, all right? And this helps your master bedroom feel so much more peaceful and calm overall if you can avoid this. Another mistake that I see happen is that people create a walk-in robe in a space that's really too small to be a walk-in robe. And what will happen is that it ends up that the robe is actually predominantly corners. You can't really hang clothes in a corner. Ideally, you want long runs of lineal hanging space and have it either side of a passageway in the middle. The passageway doesn't need to be huge, but you do ideally need to be able to clear the coat hangers on either side as you walk through. So you're not sort of bumping into clothing as you go into the room. I find though that corners get awkward and they don't provide the storage that homeowners anticipate they will and they end up kind of like in a kitchen just being dumping grounds for things. So another design tip that I have is to remember a location for a full-length mirror and to make that location somewhere where you can actually stand back from it and see yourself full length. I've seen lots of homeowners put a mirror on the back of a door uh, and they'll not be able to get far enough away from it to actually see themselves properly and see themselves at full length. Now consider whether you want to actually walk through your walk-in robe into your ensuite or whether you want to have your walk-in robe and ensuite sitting side by side with separate entries. Some homeowners really love the idea of getting out of a shower, drying off, stepping into their walk-in robe to get dressed and then out into the bedroom all ready for the day. Now, if you're connecting the two rooms like this, make sure you have really good ventilation or extraction in the ensuite to prevent steam getting into the walk-in robe and really good drainage in the ensuite as well so that you don't run the risk of water running into the carpet of the walk-in robe. I recommend always that you still put a door between the ensuite and the walk-in robe so that you can close it off when needed. Remember too, that when you create an actual room for a walk-in robe, you create floor space in that room. And especially if this space is a walk-through robe to get somewhere else or it's in a kid's bedroom, make sure that the way you fit out the robe helps you keep things off the floor. Now, one regret I see happening for homeowners, especially when they put walk-in robes into their kids' bedrooms, is that they do it because they think it'll be a better way to store all the items like bags and sporting gear and toys, etc. But be aware of this. The way that the storage is designed the shelving, the drawers, the hanging space, that's what creates the opportunity for organisation, not just the space itself. So it has to be easy and logical to use, otherwise everything will just end up getting shoved in it anyway. And seriously, it ends up being such a point of contention as things just get thrown in there over time. It really takes total diligence to maintain this, and you may have that in droves, you know, that may be your thing. But for many, These walk-in robe spaces, that can become a super headache if they're not fitted out well, especially in kids' rooms, because they just literally become this big bulky cupboard that everything gets shoved into. Now, let's next talk about linens. These can be called your linen press or your linen storage. So one mistake I see homeowners regularly make is not locating the linen near the bedrooms. Sometimes it's because they run out of room once all the other elements and spaces get into their floor plan. Now, the bulk of what you store, though, in your linen will be used in bedrooms and in bathrooms. So really consider how to locate linen store near those areas. And if you need to, break it up so that you can fit some storage around your bedrooms and bathrooms. If you don't have the space there, then make sure that you allow some storage in the robes within the bedrooms for the linen that will go specifically on the bed in that room. This is particularly relevant for families with little kids because often you'll need to be changing sheets in the middle of the night if a child is sick or has wet the bed and it can be so much simpler and less disruptive to the whole house overall if the linen that you need is stored nearby or in the room itself. Now, another mistake that I see people make is that they make the linen actually too deep. So look at what a towel looks like when it's folded up. Look at what sheets look like when they're folded up. When you make the linen too deep, what ends up happening is you start losing stuff down the back of stacks of things, all right, and it becomes really hard to access everything. Now, a tip that I touched on earlier is remember all of the things that you store in a linen and allow the appropriate space for them. This is one of the reasons that I actually really love walk-in linens, because you can have the shelving itself be the right depth for what you need for sheets and towels, which is actually quite shallow. And then you can actually have some extra floor space on the bottom to put big containers of bigger blankets and things that you might only access in colder months of the year. Or you can put the vacuum cleaner in there as well. Okay, So it can be really. Good strategy for getting that kind of flexibility of storage whilst making each area of storage specific for what it needs to be. Now, another tip is to remember to put decent lighting in your linen. And I actually recommend putting lighting inside the linen cupboard because uh, often homeowners will only put it in the hallway outside the linen. And as you may know from experience, what happens then is you open the doors, you turn the light on, and you cast a shadow over what you're actually trying to see inside the linen. Now next we're going to talk about broom cupboards. So broom cupboards are different to a linen store. They have less shelving in them and they can also be shallower. So the main thing with broom cupboards is just to remember to include one in your home. That's the thing that I see happen most often is that people forget them and then that causes problems for storing any tall items that you might need such as brooms or mops. Now you may wish to include yours as part of your kitchen joinery or you may need to put it you may like to put it in the laundry. I see some people create a hallway cupboard that will have some sections of storage, so it'll have one for hanging coats and putting umbrellas and things like that, and then another for brooms and other tall items. This is really a personal preference about how you'll see you'll use this storage. Just don't forget to include it, okay? And I recommend that you locate it where you have easy to clean flooring as well. So not putting it in an area where you've got carpeted flooring because either inside the cupboard or outside the cupboard, it can just mean that if you're moving a wet mop or a broom in and out, it's just not that easy to keep the floor around the broom cupboard clean if it's carpeted. Okay, now lastly, let's move on to mudrooms and laundries. Now, what's a mudroom? Well, mudrooms are especially common in cold climates in Australia, the UK and the USA, especially in places that snow. And they're also something included in homes in rural locations, and I'm seeing them become more and more regular in Australian homes. They have a few functions. So in colder climates, where the home is often air-conditioned or it's warmed via a fireplace or a gas heater, The mudroom will actually act like an airlock space. So it's where someone can enter from outside, they can close the door behind them on the cold weather, they can take off their boots and their heavy coats, they can store them and put them somewhere in the mudroom and then they can walk into the house itself through another door with less clothing on, they'll not be dripping or muddy and it'll help keep the house warm and tidy. So this is also similar in rural locations but it might not necessarily need to act as an airlock in those situations as well. Now often in these this type of arrangement, the mudroom will be located somewhere on the way in from the garage or near the main front or rear entry of the home. In your suburban family home, though, a dedicated room to dump stuff in as you walk into the house, it may feel like overkill. However, when you've got a few kids with school bags and sporting gear, it definitely makes sense to have a dedicated storage zone where these items all go as the kids arrive home and leave the house every day. Just so that there's some routine and and, uh, ritual to where they need to put things. It can also help the grown-ups as well in terms of their level of organisation. And if anyone in your family has a messy job working outside, this mudroom space can be super useful for that as well. Now, often I recommend that this type of mudroom functionality be incorporated into the laundry of a family home. And then I also recommend that the laundry be located somewhere near the garage. It doesn't need to be right next to it, but it's handy if you don't have to traverse the entire house to get to the laundry from when you arrive home in the car. And this can especially help with kids arriving home with bags of sports gear or swimming gear, for example. So they can then dump this near the washing machine rather than dumping it somewhere else in the house and then needing to bring it back to the laundry. Now incorporating this idea of a mudroom into your laundry literally can be as simple as creating a dedicated bench space with some shoe storage below it and some hanging space above for bags and coats and hats. It's really up to you if you see this as a use for your family but it doesn't have to be too complicated and it doesn't have to take up a lot of room. Now for the laundry itself let's have a chat about this in more detail. So one of the major mistakes I see homeowners make is in how they provide access in and out of the laundry. I've seen homeowners put narrower doors on laundries trying to save space and these door openings are then too narrow to actually move the washing machine and the dryer in and out of the room okay. So just do that check when you're designing the access in and out of your laundry. The other error that I'll see is in the door out to outside from the laundry itself. And this is often how I see laundries get designed, in particularly in new homes. So you'll have a bench and cupboards down one side with the washing machine and the tub, and that will nominally be 600 deep joinery. And then there'll be about 1,100 to 1,200 of space between the bench space and the wall on the other side. And what will happen is that will be the the laundry and then at one end of it, there will be a glass sliding door. So a two panel glass sliding door that goes full width of the room. So you'll have an opening panel and then a fixed panel. Now, there's a few, uh, and so sorry, that glass sliding door will generally be like 1.6 to 1.7 meters wide once you put the framing on either side. Now, there's a few problems with this type of solution for the glass sliding door on the end of the laundry. The first challenge, of course, is how you run benches and cupboards up to a glass sliding door. You you can't, you can't really. <laughs> so the glass, it may have obscure glass in it so that you can't see in from outside and see the end of the bench and the cupboard that comes up to meet the glass. However, even if you do that, you'll still have an awkward gap between the end of the bench and the cupboard and that small gap to where it meets the frame and the glass itself and it's difficult to get in there and keep that clean. The second challenge is what happens with actually getting in and out of the room to outside to hang washing out. So most times when you're moving out of a laundry uh, to outside you'll be carrying a basket of wet washing and that'll make you wider than normal because you'll have your hands out to the side sort of holding either end of a basket. Now a sliding glass door that's 1.6 meters wide it'll have two panels that are each 800 millimeters wide but The one that slides open, it won't slide fully open to 800 millimetres because the handle on the glass sliding door will stop it short of that. So often you'll only get a gap that's kind of like 650 mils wide. And that means that you have to sort of sidle out on an angle. It's really awkward and you're trying to do that whilst you're carrying a basket of wet washing. You know, people often do this solution of putting the the big glass sliding door at the end of their laundry because they want lots of natural light into their laundry space. And this is the way that they envisage being able to do that. I recommend instead that you use a hinged aluminium or timber framed glass door, big sheet of glass in it. Use obscure glass in the door so that you get natural light, but you maintain the privacy. That way the door then can be a proper full-size door and it can be really easy to get access in and out. And then I recommend that you make sure the door opens outwards so that if it's been raining, the water falls on the outside of the room as you open the door and not on the inside. You're not opening a door and then dripping water all over the floor on the inside of the laundry. You know, make that door a standard sized 820 millimeter wide door leaf, and then you'll be able to get in and out of the laundry room to outside much more easily. The next tip with a laundry is to design where you'll be hanging your washing outside at the same time as planning where your laundry will go, okay? Make the walk between those two rooms, sorry, those two spaces, so the actual laundry itself and the washing line make the distance between those not too far and make sure that you can also screen your washing line outside from the street and from your backyard itself. In Australia we're blessed with so much great weather so it's really not an excuse to use the dryer all the time and to not have a washing line at all and there's always a way that you can design it in. Washing lines are available in so many shapes and forms these days you can generally find a way to fit one somewhere. I also recommend in any two-storey family home that you include a laundry chute. So keeping this in mind when you actually are doing the design for your renovation or new home, it doesn't always have to drop directly into the laundry space itself either. So sometimes nearby is just as useful, but it's really an asset for any family home so that you're not having to traverse stairs carrying baskets of dirty washing and that you can really then encourage the kids to get their stuff to the laundry as well. Now, you know, you don't need a massive laundry for it to work well, especially if you're trying to do that at the expense of other spaces in your home. Just have a look at the sizes of what needs to go in there. So washing machines and dryers, they're fairly standard sizes regardless of the brand. And the biggest decision can be whether you have a top loading or a front loading washing machine, because that'll impact whether you can have bench space over the top of the machine or not. Think of what else you need in there. So shelving, tall cupboards uh, to put an ironing board in, a laundry tub, hanging rails, you know, get the ideas for the varieties of ways that you can do this and the different ways that you can include these items and the sizes that they need to be. In the UK and Europe, it's much more common actually for homeowners to put their laundry in their kitchen or in a small cupboard somewhere in the home. And this, of course, can work in Australia as well, particularly if you're designing a compact home. The main thing I I encourage you to remember is that in family homes particularly, dirty clothing can pile up pretty quickly. So if you are designing your laundry, be it a room or a cupboard, just make sure you include space for the dirty clothing that's going to be piling up waiting to be washed. Now, with all of these service and storage spaces, you don't need to go overboard. Functional space, not the space itself, is what will make the difference to how these rooms perform in your home. And I actually find that the bigger the storage space, the less ruthless that will be with what we put in it. Yes, family life definitely means that we have certain stuff and we have the need to keep it somewhere. However, as I spoke about in season one, if you're wanting to create a spacious home, Creating that sense of organisation and order is essential because that's what actually brings that mental spaciousness and that peace and calm. So that will mean having storage spaces that work, that are easy to arrange and that make sense for what they need to house. So focus on creating functional space that's easy to move in and easy to access what you need when you need it because that's what will simplify your life and make your home more convenient overall. Now, in the next episode, I'm going to be moving on to secondary bedrooms. So these are the bedrooms in your home other than your master bedroom. So they'll be for your kids or for the guests. They'll share some common tips and mistakes with the master bedroom, of course, but there's also things to know that are specific to these rooms. And that's what I'll be covering in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining me here at Get It Right with Undercover Architect. If you're wanting to learn more about how to design a home, I've actually created a special five-step e-guide to get you started. It's free and you can get your copy now. It's called How to Design a Home, Five Simple Steps to Getting It Right. And you can head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash home design to get your free copy emailed straight to your inbox. And I'll put that link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please head to iTunes and subscribe because that way then you'll be the first to know about new episodes and you'll also help others like you find out about this podcast. I'd really love it if you could leave a review too, please, because it'll tell iTunes to share this podcast with other homeowners like you. And if you have friends or family planning their future homes, please let them know about the podcast as well. Everyone who is renovating or building can then get support in getting it right. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time. Bye. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.